All right, so I'd like to uh, do a little bit of audience participation right now, okay? Nothing too crazy awkward. Uh, let's take a look at the first uh, option here. Pizza or tacos? Pizza. <laughs> I, you say, I don't know. I don't know. Tacos. Some of you did both. That's fine. <laughs> All right. Like you change. Ah, oh, now that I think about it, I'll take the tacos. Okay, next. Coke or Pepsi? There's one clear choice here. How many Pepsi? Pepsi? Now the right answer. Coke? Yeah. More specifically, Diet Coke. Studies show it to be the most addictive substance on the planet. Right under, like right above street drugs. <laughs> um, all right, next. We got baseball or football? Football. Baseball. God bless you. Next. LeBron or MJ? MJ. LeBron. Okay, let's keep in mind. Picture on the right, that guy's taking a championship from Cleveland. Like at that moment, see Craig Elo back there? Picture on the left, that guy has just brought a championship to Cleveland. I know that's like one of the more controversial things I'll ever bring from the stage is, is who's greater, LeBron or um, Michael Jordan. All right, next. How about a sweltering 90-degree humid summer day or a polar vortex Cleveland winter day? Super, super hot day. Really, really cold day. All right. Um... That one's hard for me because I really, 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 really hate cold weather. Um, yeah. How about vacation-wise, beach or night in the wilderness camping? Beach. Camping. Isn't that interesting how the, you know, the, the, the different approaches? Okay. How about this? Uh, we got Hallmark movie. Or horror flick? Hallmark movie. Horror movie. <coughs> okay. One more. Go four days without oxygen. I'm sorry, four days without water or four minutes without oxygen? Doesn't matter, right? You're dead regardless. Because some things it doesn't matter. Some things aren't really a choice. Some things you need both. And so that's kind of what we're talking about today. There are some things where you just got to have both. Specifically when it comes to caring about people. Because there are very real important physical needs we all have. And your friends have. And there are very real important spiritual needs we all have. And your friends have. And it's important to care about both. We really can't pick or choose. All right, let me kind of review the icons we've been talking about this series. Uh, so as a church, 
we want to help people grow in their friendship with Jesus. Remember John 15, 15, we said, Jesus said, I, I'm not looking for servants, I want friends. I want to call you friends. He wants friendship. And so we've been talking about a growing friendship with Jesus over you know, the obligatory religion thing. And uh, we've said that there's really three uh, expressions in a growing friendship with Jesus. The first is that treasure icon, uh, which we've said is like the just kind of the back and forth um, personal friendship with Jesus itself. It's our communication with him. It's him guiding us. It's, it's, it's us learning uh, from his teachings and incorporating them in our life. And when we do that, that becomes treasure for us. And we then become treasure for the world around us as we love out his teachings. And then we said that table is the second icon because Jesus really thinks communal. Like even when he prays, he talks about give us this day our daily bread. Like, like it's, it's not I and me, it's our, it's us. And so it's the idea of the table, Jesus eating together with all different kinds of people and inviting us to do the same and how in the early church... They uh, worshiped together and lived life together, and they ate together um, with hearts that were just full of joy because they had each other. And then it's also inviting people to that table, getting as many people as we can connected in friendship with Jesus. Very, very important. And then we talked about the towel. Last one, so um, um, remember that Jesus uh, washed his disciples' feet and dried them with a towel, like that servanthood. That's the towel, servanthood. Last week we talked about the physical needs, like, like really doing something about people who have physical needs, do something about something. Uh, but it goes beyond that. It's very important that we also think about <coughs> their spiritual needs. And just like the little back and forth we did up front, the audience participation thing, we can't just think about physical needs. We also have to think about the souls of the people that we interact with. Um, because one is temporary and one is eternal. And I think the eternal one would be most important. All right, so um, this week, take a look at some point at John chapter 6. I'm going to read a section in a moment, but I just want to take a second to, um, <clears throat> to set it up. John 6 is a very interesting chapter. John's one of the four Gospels, uh, the biographies of Jesus. And what you'll see as you look at John 6, as it plays out um, um, through the page, uh, what you're going to see is two things, uh, two important parts of John 6. One is that John, the author, is comparing Jesus to Moses, but it's old school. Like in the ancient world, uh, you had to observe things and take it in. Like, they didn't just give you the bullet points like we like in our modern Western culture. You had to observe it and kind of understand what was going on. And John's readers would have known a lot about the Old Testament, and so they're making these connections. So first of all, in John 6, Jesus um, uh, multiplies bread. You've probably heard of the miracle of feeding the 5,000. Most people know, even people far from God know, that Jesus at one point um, turned a little bit of bread into a bunch of bread and fed a whole big crowd. Okay, this is a connection between Jesus and Moses. Hundreds of years before, Moses came to the Israelites to free them. Moses was the deliverer. Moses was the one who, who, who saved them from slavery and freed them. Hundreds of years before Jesus. And in doing so, as they walked through the wilderness, Moses um, told the Israelites that God would rain down bread from heaven overnight called manna. 
And they would eat that bread, and it would sustain them in the wilderness. Well, here comes Jesus hundreds of years later, and he's not praying for bread to come overnight. He actually, in plain sight, is multiplying bread, right, in miraculous fashion for everybody to see. This was essentially John and Jesus both saying, Jesus is greater than Moses. There's this linking to the deliverance figure in the Old Testament with Jesus. And then... Next in John 6, Jesus walks across the water. That's the next story. And um, when it comes to connections with Moses, they knew about the manna, and they sure knew, as do most people even now, that Moses once parted the Red Sea. Well, Jesus one-ups him again because Jesus isn't parting the Red Sea to walk on dry ground. Jesus just walks across the top of the Sea of Galilee. Once again, see that, that, uh, that um, reference back, that kind of wink and nod, to Moses as the deliverer in the Old Testament, <clears throat> and then saying that Jesus is greater because he doesn't just deal bread overnight when nobody's looking. He hands it out. He doesn't just part the Red Sea to walk on dry ground. He just walks across the top of the sea. This brings us to Jesus' kind of bring it all together moment at the end of John 6 in um, verse 25 says this, when they, the crowd, found him on the other side of the lake, they asked him, Rabbi, when did you get here? And Jesus answered, very truly, I tell you, you are looking for me, not because you saw the signs I performed, but because you ate the loaves and had your fill. In other words, you just want a free meal. Do not work for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. For on him God the Father has placed his seal of approval. Then they asked him, what must we do to do the work God requires? And Jesus said, the work of God is this, to believe in the one he has sent. So they asked him, what sign then will you give that we may see it and believe you? What will you do? Our ancestors ate manna in the wilderness, as it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. So they're trying to manipulate Jesus for another free meal. And Jesus is like, this is not Costco, where I hand out samples. Jesus said to them, very truly I tell you, it is not Moses who's given you the bread from heaven, but it is my Father who gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is the bread that comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Sir, they said, always give us this bread. Then Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry, and whoever believes in me will never go thirsty. Now, <clears throat> this is classic Jesus, in that he will give his audience enough credit, he will tell them something that isn't quite true, so that they can then make a connection with something that is even more so true on a deeper level. Here's what I mean by that. Um, if you follow Jesus right now, is it true that you will never be physically hungry? No, that's not. I'm, my stomach is growling right now, I kid you not. We will be hungry. And we will be thirsty. If we don't drink water for four days, we will be dead. We can follow Jesus. We still very much need food and drink. Jesus says you're not going to be hungry, you're not going to be thirsty. What he's doing there is he's, he's inviting our faith to go for something deeper. And the deeper meaning is clearly 
There's more to life than just the physical needs that we sense. There's much more to life than that. And Jesus is saying that friendship with him, that connecting with him, that inviting him in, solves our spiritual malnourishment, solves our spiritual hunger, solves our spiritual thirst. So what Jesus is doing is he's emphatically saying, Stop. all the people who care about at that point is their physical, temporary hunger. And Jesus is saying, stop living in the temporary. Stop thinking only about physical needs. You have to make the transition to thinking primarily about our spiritual needs. <clears throat> this applies to ourselves. And this applies to others because most of us spend most of our time, and I'm right at the front of the line with this, worrying and thinking and living in temporary things for this temporary world. If you want a very humbling exercise, let's first of all look at our calendars over the past month. Things that we actually did and ask, what of these things was about this temporary world and what of these things had an eternal aspect to it? What was dealing with our temporary wants and needs and what was providing care and nourishment and growth for our soul? <clears throat> and then we can look at our bank statement and say of the money we, sp we spent, what went to earthly temporary things versus things that God cares about that will expand and nourish our soul and the souls of others. And then, and this is really humbling, let's look at our prayer list. If you have a prayer list, what are we praying about? Are we praying primarily about temporary needs? Or are we praying about the spiritual needs of ourselves and those around us? And I will, be, I will confess to you that after I wrote that out, I thought, ah, I guess I better go look at my daily prayer list. And it wasn't pretty because 90% of it was temporary earthly needs because we tend to stress most about the temporary things and put off the spiritual things and then take it another step. And if you're a parent, think about your parenting. Are you parenting primarily with temporary concerns for your kids in mind? producing like a temporary uh, approach to life in them? Or are we spending plenty of time making sure that their souls are developed? And then think about how you, um, how you act toward your friends and uh, people that you interact with. Most of us would move heaven and earth to meet the physical needs of anybody around us. I mean, if there was like, they really needed food, they really needed something to drink, we'd be happy to provide whatever we could for them. And yet, we have friends that are very far from God, who are spiritually malnourished, and we're relatively unconcerned about that if we really look at how we're living our lives and acting toward them. All right, I'm going to read you a second scripture. This is from... Uh, Mark chapter 2. <clears throat> it says, A few days later, when Jesus again entered Capernaum, the people heard that he had come home. 
they gathered in such large numbers that there was no room left, not even outside the door. And he preached the word to them. Some men came bringing to him a paralyzed man carried by four of them. Since they could not get him to Jesus because of the crowd, they made an opening in the roof above Jesus by digging through it and then lowered the mat the man was lying on. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralyzed man's son, your sins are forgiven. Now some teachers of the law were sitting there, the religious elite, the Bible scholars, thinking to themselves, why does this fellow talk like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Immediately Jesus knew in his spirit that this was uh, what they were thinking in their heads. And he said to them, why are you thinking these things? Which is easier, to say to this paralyzed man, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up, take your mat, and walk? But I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. So he said to the man, I tell you, get up, take your mat, and go home. And he got up took his mat, and he walked out in full view of them. This amazed everyone, and they praised God, saying, "Who has, or we have never seen anything like this. <clears throat> now, do you notice there what Jesus does? He says the same thing. There's a spiritual need, or there's a physical need. The man is paralyzed. He's trapped physically. But Jesus also understands that he's trapped physically, or spiritually, by his sins. And so Jesus splits the two. He says, your sins are forgiven. He points out that there are physical needs and there are spiritual needs. So there were two miracles that day. Jesus healed the man physically and he healed the man spiritually. Which was the more important miracle? The spiritual one. I mean, at the end of the day, if you got to pick between going through this life paralyzed and being completely right with God for all eternity or the other way around, I'll take rightness with God for all eternity. That's more important. But Jesus is careful to say the man has spiritual needs, the man has physical needs, and he can meet them both. But we have to think about both. And what we see here are a group of friends who loved their friends so much. And whether they were thinking about both spiritual and physical, we don't know, but they knew one thing. He, we have to get this friend to Jesus. They were not unconcerned. They were concerned, and they did something about it. They said, our friend needs to get to Jesus, and they moved heaven and earth to get him there. They carried him for who knows how long. They ripped a roof apart to get him to Jesus. And we have to begin to think along those terms. Not just what do our friends and the people around us and the world around us and the community here not just what do they need physically, but what do they need spiritually. And if you're here, hopefully you're realizing the value that Jesus adds and begin, can begin to think about the people around you that may need to take that step as well. Now, when it comes to getting friends to Jesus... I know that that can be intimidating. Now, some of you are natural. It's called evangelist. That's the, the big, scary, churchy word, evangelist. And it means that you are, it's easy for you to tell people about Jesus. If you, there's, there's a percentage of people in here that are just going to find it easy to tell people about Jesus no matter what. You meet somebody at the bus stop, you can, can make that connection. But that's not all of us. 
but, but really what I'd like for you to do is just to think in terms of next steps. So let's just say that you have one foot on the Jesus ladder. Think of, think of friendship with Jesus like a ladder. And up here is when you're really, really, really close to Jesus, mature in your faith. Uh, but, but for some of you, you're just on, like, you got one foot still in the world. You've just kind of, you know, you come to church a couple times a month, and, and maybe you're doing the thing where you're reading the Gospels 15 minutes a day. And so you've just kind of taken a half step onto the Jesus ladder. All you have to do is think about where you uh, have gotten and how to get other people to as far as you are. You don't have to wonder, what, what if they ask a question about Revelation and I'm not prepared to answer um, what's going to happen at the end of the world? You don't have to worry about any of that. All you have to do is know where you're at and invite people to get where you're at. Because let me tell you something. If you're at the first rung of the Jesus ladder, you're in a great position to get other people who are still far from God onto the ladder, way more so than people up high are. Because you can still relate. You're still relevant. You were just where they were. So it could be something as simple as this. Um, last week we talked about having a little index card, past couple weeks, having a little index card with, um, with some friends that might be far from God, maybe five names on it. You're going to just pray about um, maybe helping them take a step uh, toward Jesus. And then there's the moment when one of your friends talks about the anxiety that they're feeling during this election year and the craziness of the world, and you say, you know, um, I've been going to Polaris a couple times a month and, and reading some of the teachings of Jesus and trying to put them uh, into practice, and it's really given me some center in life. And if you want to join me some Sunday, <clears throat> great. Unless they're a total troll, that's not going to be a big deal. And statistics show that usually people, even without interest in God, would say yes to just trying it out with a friend. Most people are, sp are spiritually minded. They're interested in spiritual things. And the scriptures say that as we lift up Jesus, God will draw people. So you're kind of relying on God. And, but, but at the end of the day, is it, is it all that awkward? Because we love to talk about things uh, that work for us, right? If I find a good restaurant, like, like when I learned about like pho soup, I told everybody. Like we're, we're fine doing that. And this is just, hey man, this is working for me. And if you ever want to come along, uh, meet, me, meet me here and we'll, we'll sit together. And that's it. And like I said, I mean, we got people all around us in need of that. And if, if just five names on an index card, five invites a year... And we would probably never have a room enough to meet for the kind of, the, 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 and, and listen, you know, as well as I do, that this world is a, like, like suburban America is an anxious wreck right now and beyond. It's not just suburban America, um, but, but, but our friends need it and we can't be unconcerned. Um, we got to do something about the physical and spiritual needs of the people around us. Now, a lot of it also has to do with being aware of your own story. People are far more interested in your story than they are in Bible answers. And, and guess what? <clears throat> they can't even refute 
It's not like you can get into a debate over your story. Like you're like, Jesus makes a difference in my life this way. No, he doesn't. Like, yeah, he does. It's my story. Like, you know, so you're not even in a debate then. You're just sharing your story. So let me give you an example, okay? When I was growing up, church for me was extremely boring. It was obligatory faith. My parents made, us, made me go. I was an only child. Every Sunday, unless I was rocking like 105 fever, I don't care. You're going to church. And I sat there in Wesley United Methodist, and I counted the ceiling boards in Maslin, Ohio, waiting until I'd like look at my dad's watch, and, and he's still trying to cover it up, you know, so that I can focus on the time went backwards, and then we got out from my one hour of prison every week at a dying church. And there, there is no more... Wesley United Methodist in Maslin, Ohio. They died. It's gone. But at some point, I found a real friendship with Jesus. And it became real. And I started to put his teachings into practice in my own life. And it's like my heart became alive. And all that's doing is saying, this was life before. Then I found Jesus. And now... This is what life is like. And for some of you, it's like I was an alcoholic or I was going through a divorce or I, like some of you are far worse than you were bored at church. The kinds of changes that Jesus brings in life are massive. And, and that's where the money is like for that's, that's where the pool is when people can say, that's where he used to be. That's where she used to be. And then they found Jesus and now they're here. And if you can know that story just down to a few sentences and be watchful with your friends when the moment comes and just, just it's as simple as that. And listen, this is not like manipulation or things like that. It's about caring about their soul. You have the bread of life. And if they're spiritually malnourished, they need what you have. And we're called by God to make a difference with that. So I'm going to invite the band up one more time. And, and I just want to say, you know, a couple, first of all, this is as simple as an invite. You don't have to walk people through the book of Romans and the process of salvation. If you're there and you're able and it's helpful, sure. But it can be as simple as this is what Jesus has done in my life and an invite to Sunday or to a kids event or whatever. This is about being concerned about both the physical and spiritual needs of the people around you because Jesus says we have to do both. Remember, we are the hands and the feet and the mouth of Jesus. We are the body of Christ. Scripture says you are the body of Christ and each one of you is a part of it. God is relying on us to go to a spiritually malnourished world and be Jesus to them and guide them to Jesus.